HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. If your food media diet is fueled by HRN, become a monthly donor today. Visit heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Hello to all the listeners of Let's Talk About Food. Today I have a personal favor on behalf of heritageradionetwork.org. Become a member. Support the radio network that supports me, brings this to you, and allows me to do something that I love every week. And I hope you love it too. I love being able to do this show. So if you want to be as supportive and helpful as you can, please spare a dollar a week, $5 a week, and go to heritageradionetwork.org, designate Let's Talk About Food, and become a member. Hello to everyone. I'm Louisa Kasdan, your host for Let's Talk About Food, a podcast devoted to first-person storytelling where food plays a pivotal, if not a starring role. Everyone has a food story. Food is at the heart of human connection, at the center of love, of ritual, of need and want, and most of all, food creates community. And community is what we crave. One of the great pleasures of collecting people's stories is that they often surprise you. You discover a gem just by asking a question like, how did you come to food? Today, we talk to Megan Fails. Megan runs the perfect model for a general store. It's called Anchor and Sale, and it's in the center of the Massachusetts Seacoast Village where I live. When I first met her, she seemed lovely, and her food was impeccable. But I had no inkling that she came to our little hamlet via a career at Martha Stewart and Comedy Central. Chalk it up to, you never know. Let's have a listen. Megan Fails, it's so good to have you today. I have been excited to hear about your background ever since I stumbled across you at Anchor and Sale General Store in the cute little seaside town where I live, Cohasset, Massachusetts. I was fascinated to see how you got there and how you are fulfilling what is a dream for a lot of people, the idea of a small, controllable, fun, upscale food emporium and gift shop and catering business all at once on a beautiful, cute little main street. How'd you get there? Well, it was a very roundabout way, but with a huge payoff. We now live in lovely Cohasset rather than Los Angeles, which served us well for many years. 
in my past, I had a similar business in Pittsburgh where I grew up and lived until I was 30. That was called La Charcuterie. And I came into that by luck and being friends with the chefs and owners of that business. When they were ready to leave, I was ready to jump in and take over. So this business has definitely been in my background, but had a little pause and break to do several other things along the way, including starting a family and working for Martha Stewart and working for Comedy Central, and ended up in Cohasset and came right back to food, what I know best. And how was it that food grabbed you in the first place? Where did this dream come from? It's just always been a part of my lifestyle and my upbringing and the center of all gatherings, family, friends, celebrations, everything. It's ever-present, at least it was in my life. Always a source of interest and learning and celebration and fun stuff. Okay. It's a lot of people's dream to work for Martha Stewart. How did that happen? What is she like? What did you do? What did you learn? Take me backstage at Martha Stewart Living. I was at a party in New York, and I met the art director for Martha for the television show when it was out in Westport, Connecticut. This was back in 2000. And we hit it off, and I had already gone and applied for a job at the magazine, which I had no qualifications for other than a great desire to work there and showed up for my interview with a flower arrangement for the wedding editor and my folder from my wedding planning, which was, I'm sure, very much a disgrace to her in her eyes. But I told her about that, and we laughed, and she said, well, come and work at the television studio. It's way more fun. She got me on board when they were working on Thanksgiving and Halloween and Christmas all in July. So I loved it, and It was so fun and exciting and creative, and the sky was the limit. We could craft and build and arrange and just go for it in in every way, shape, and form. And all of the things we needed were right there at our fingertips. There was a whole room full of bins of every kind of crepe paper and pipe cleaner and glue stick, anything you could possibly imagine. And then there was a room full of all the little dishes you need for mise en place and china and silver and crystal and just wonderful tabletop everything. There was a test kitchen with several busy people making every phase of every recipe that we were working on for the day. And we'd go in with our card and have all the little cups with one teaspoon you know, pea-touched into the, the little lip of the bowl so Martha could read it. But It looked like she just knew exactly what she was pouring in. It was fantastic. That was just a freelance position, which ended on great terms. And they said they'd call me when they needed me again. When I was not working for them, I got a job with Comedy Central and became an assistant to a friend who listened to my sad story of how I couldn't find a job in New York. He took me under his wing and It turns out that producing is very much like catering and running a kitchen. Explain to me how being a producer at Comedy Central is like being in the catering business. Well, in my role as a producer, at least, I worked on a puppet show that was much like the Muppets meet the Beastie Boys. And there were several departments. There was the writing department, the art department, the set 
department, the puppeteers, the costumers. My job was to make sure all of us were on the same page and accomplishing what the producers wanted and what the script said we were supposed to accomplish. With all those moving parts, it's just like preparing a meal. You have to do your grocery shopping, get your deliveries, assign tasks to certain people, and make sure it's all happening on time. Very similar in corralling type of way. Herding cats. Herding cats. (laughs) Herding cats when time is of the essence. Right. Wow. So you went from Comedy Central in New York and somehow you ended up in Los Angeles. How did that happen? We shot for one year in New York. After that year, I went back to Martha, actually, and worked with her a little more at the television studio. I wonder if you could share with me a couple of little food styling tips from Martha Stewart that you picked up and you now find yourself, it's part of your regular repertoire. One of the sort of things that you wouldn't think about was there always needed to be warm, wet towels under the table where she was working so that she could clean up in an instant. And I do that now, too. I mean, that's sort of second nature to always have a wet towel on my work surface. Not very exciting, but very useful. Just the notion of having everything where you need it when you start your recipe is also super helpful, and I try to do it. I'm not always that organized, but having everything chopped and set aside and measured if you can, if you need to, and standing by and mise en place, ready to go using fresh things and centering your your menu around a star of the show. If it's peach season, then it's the peach is the star and everything else is sort of built around that. And I think that that's sort of how we did our segments too. It was an amazingly talented group of people. Many of my coworkers graduated from RISD and well educated backgrounds and from very creative institutions. It showed everybody was passionate about what they were doing and they were experts at what they were doing. They were all assembled there because Martha picked really talented people to um, to make her empire shine, and it did. I have always been a Martha Stewart fan because I think what she did, and people used to poo-poo it, what she did is make people find joy in the things that they did at home, making their home beautiful, making their food beautiful, doing crafts, feeling validated and feeling worthy. I just, I have never understood why people feel they have to put down Martha Stewart. I think she's great. No, <laughs> she she was awesome. And, and I happened to be there at, at a very tumultuous time in her, her career, in her past that we all know about. And she handled it. You were there when her legal issues were happening? Yes, absolutely. You would have never known unless you read the Wall Street Journal on your way to work, like we did. (laughs) There was a van that took us from the city out to the studio on shoot day so she could make sure that we were all on time and at work, ready to go. When she got there, we got driven to work from the city, which was really fun. And then there was breakfast in the commissary for us. It was really a fantastic place to work, truly. And beautiful. We were surrounded by beautiful things everywhere you looked. And it tunes up your eye. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, part of our job as stylists was to style the corkboard behind her when she's standing at the island talking, if she were in the craft room. And so we would pick from files of pictures and images and 
beautiful fabric swatches or ribbon or dried flowers, you know, anything to sort of feel that creative process, at least look like we were fueling the creative process for the segment that was happening that day. I mean, it was she, pretty great. She didn't just pick those things herself as part of <laughs> that. Of course, they all got her stamp of approval. We were all assembled there because we could curate her concepts in, in these little vignettes. My favorite day there was when Alice Waters was her guest, and I don't even remember what they were making, but there was a KitchenAid stand mixer involved, and the two of them could not get through the segment without giggling. It was so fun to watch because, you know, Martha had this aura about her, and that day we saw it get let down, (laughs) and she had so much fun. The two of them were just in tears laughing so hard. It was it was so funny. Martha Stewart is, she is a tall woman. When I met, she's tall, and Alice Waters is like a midget. <laughs> right, <laughs> Must have been fun she just is. To... And a legend in my eyes to, to have her walk into the studio, too. I was starstruck because Alice Waters has such an amazing background and you know, she's had an amazing career, and she's one of the stars of, of the food show, you know, the food world. For sure. That's got to be a peak experience, being a little starstruck by a giggling Martha Stewart and Alice Waters. That's, that's pretty fun. We'll be back with Megan Fails in a minute and hear how she was able to tear herself away from the Martha Stewart world and decamp to L.A. and Comedy Central. Hey, this is Hannah, HRN's program manager. You may have noticed that we have a whole new look. We also launched a new website that's going to make your listening easier and more enjoyable than ever before. HRN is the original food podcast network. And as we enter a new chapter in our 12-year history, I want to ask you to invest in HRN for the long haul. If you rely on this show to fuel your food media diet, become a monthly sustaining member today. Our members keep the voice of America's food movement alive and kicking. Your donations support this podcast along with 40 other shows on Heritage Radio Network. Your contribution helps give HRN the security we need to stay on the airwaves throughout the pandemic, and your continued support is allowing us to reopen our studio. Plus, we like to give our regular members special treatment. So sign up to become a monthly donor and get access to our secret menu. We've gathered together exclusive discounts and offers from some of your favorite food and beverage brands. So you get to enjoy insider pricing on goods that will ship right to your door. Join our community of monthly donors and special deals will come your way throughout the summer. So can you make a gift of five or $10 a month? It'll show me and our whole team at HRN how much this podcast and food radio in general means to you. Become a monthly sustaining member today at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. And we are back with Megan Fails. How did you convince yourself 
to leave that wonderful environment and go back into Comedy Central? Well, they picked up our show for another season. At this point, the show was going to take place in Los Angeles rather than New York City. And they offered me a job and made it too good to refuse. So we decided to sublet our house and go for six months, which is what we thought it would be. And it turned into 16 years (laughs) and three kids and maybe 110 episodes of Crank Yankers and another experience altogether. I mean, I love my show was called Crank Yankers, which was a puppet show with Jimmy Kimmel, Daniel Kellison, and Adam Carolla as our three executive producers. And one of Jimmy's favorite pastimes is to make crank phone calls. So the whole show was based on his desire to have comedians make crank phone calls. So 16 years go by and you're sort of in the in the industry, as people who live in Los Angeles call it. And then suddenly, whoops, you have this desire to open a general store and make uh, gazpacho and chicken salad every day. And <laughs> how, how did that come about? We were ready to, to leave Los Angeles and raise our kids on the East Coast in a smaller world and just a different environment than what we had had for so long and loved for a really long time until we didn't and we were ready to go. It took us about six years to extract ourselves from Los Angeles and our friends and, you know, that life that we had built there. Part of the reason is because we couldn't find the right place that checked all the boxes for us until we came to Hingham one summer by accident and then found Cohasset and that was it. We just fell in love and this was perfect. And did you always have in mind that you were going to open a general store? I missed those days of La Charcuterie, my store in Pittsburgh, which was much more a food emporium than the Anchor and Sale is. The Anchor and Sale has broadened to be a gift shop and a little bit of everything. And one of the major differences between the two is that the kitchen is on site at the Anchor and Sale, whereas in Pittsburgh... There was a kitchen separate from where I was, and I always kind of resented that, that I couldn't go in and cook what what I was serving. I was there as the host more and putting out the finished product. That was really fun, but I did miss having my hands in the kitchen, so. Hmm. Where did you learn to cook all this stuff? Mostly just from my mom and my grandparents and my dad and um, these friends that I took the business over from. They would have us over for dinner and making the meal together was part of the process or I really pretty much observed, but fun to watch two professionally trained chefs prepare a dinner very casually and but exquisitely. And it was the first time I saw a fish fork in my life was at their house. It sort of fueled the fire of, of taking on a completely different career than what I had gone to school for. Can you take me through a typical day of your typical day, your typical schedule? Because when I say it's a lot of people's dream, I can't tell you. When I was in the restaurant business, so many people would come in and say, this is my dream. This is my dream to open a little French bistro. This is my dream. And I would think they have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Well, the the typical day is, you know, I start really early. I sometimes go in at five in the morning and do my cooking before we open. 
then transitioned to being out in the front of the store and dealing with customers and the staff and placing orders and merchandising. And I mean, it is a really fun and dynamic job, but it is about three too many days in the week than, <laughs> than what I can handle anymore. It's full on, but it's also full of excitement and rewards and laughs and camaraderie. I mean, there's no camaraderie like what you find in a kitchen, truly, I think. And I see that you're, you've only been in town a couple of years, but now you're somebody who knows everybody in the town. You've become such a fixture in the community so quickly. And that is, of course, one of the benefits of operating a, a general store. All those sitcoms that we grew up with, the person at the general store knew everything that was going on, and you seem to know everything that's going on. How is that for you, and was that part of the goal? Absolutely, that was, I mean, I had this desire to get back to my experiences that I had with La Charcuterie in Pittsburgh, but what better way to launch yourself into a new community altogether, entirely different than where you came from, than, than being the place where everybody stops by for coffee every day or a sandwich. It was a fast track to meeting the community, participating in the community and building friendships and providing a service. It's working for me, for sure. Was the pandemic a big sock in the jaw for you? No, it really wasn't. It actually helped my business in a in a weird way because we were able to transition to a mini grocery store where people didn't want to go to the big markets. They could just call us and we would make a bag and they could pick it up. We really shut down the store to everything except a little six by six space where you could come in and hand pick things and we'd gather them for you and then you'd go out and meet us at the other door to pay. An opportunity for people to get out and see other people. That's, I, that is a definitely a recurring statement that I heard all of last year was that they were so happy to be able to, to get out and go someplace where they felt safe and just see another person <laughs> besides their family that day and, you know, get lunch or get groceries. A town center. People were buying yeast. The The grocery stores ran out of yeast, so we sold it so they could all do their, their bread baking. <laughs> and I'm, I'm a little resentful that I didn't get to have those six months on lockdown and really hunker down and pick up a craft or two, but I didn't go out of business either, so that's fabulous. <laughs> People think about opening a store like that, and at any given time, with all of the things that you do, what? how big an investment is it to get into it? Is it hundreds of thousands of dollars or is it more than that? It was less than that, actually. Hmm. But I feel like I did it really sparsely. I tried to reuse things that were in the store and I bought used equipment. I just painted what's there because it is a beautiful, charming space with all that built-in woodwork that, that was there. It was very conducive to a general store, for sure. Just the way it was, it just needed a facelift. I did a lot of the work myself, and so I did it on the lower end of investment, and there's certainly lots that could be invested in now to expand my infrastructure, but you can do it on a shoestring, I think. If you dare. (laughs) If you dare. All of my estimates of things 
were underestimates for sure. I didn't maybe do due diligence on what my real price tag would be on on certain things. So I've learned a lot. I, I, I can only imagine. And now I've had the pleasure of working with you on a, on a true community project, which is the One Table Cohasset Community Cookbook, which has been just a hoot. And you've become kind of an epicenter for that as we start to test the recipes and gather people and put the information out. What's that been like for you? It's been really fun. The culmination of something I'm addicted to, which is cookbooks. I love cookbooks so much. And so I feel very honored to be included in this group of really remarkable women who are so hardworking at this task and really make it fun. They keep me motivated because nobody is taking no for an answer and forging ahead and really doing it in such an organized fashion. It's impressive. So actually pulling it all out on the other end into a book, I think will be seamless. You're now in the heart of this business. Business is hard. Work is hard every day. How do you keep your passion for it going with all of the little irritations every day of running a business where every day your inventory is essentially worth less? How do you keep yourself up for it? Because it's it's so rewarding. I I work with amazing people. It's going to make me cry actually. <laughs> and I I have the appreciation of this community. It's super rewarding in that way. It touches my heart as you can see. <laughs> Maybe we shouldn't use that, but it is and let me say it again. No, we're definitely using that. <laughs> <laughs> But think, that's why I do it. I, I I truly enjoy everybody I'm with every day, and it, it makes it worthwhile. Megan, you you cool down. <laughs> I'll find <laughs> you know, like, I'll find I'm you soon. Always red on these cameras, but no, it's really no, red. <laughs> no, no, you're fine. You're wonderful. I think the world of you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And thank you to our team, producer Rachel Gottbaum and sound engineer and composer Michael Moss of Soundscape Boston. You can find more of our stories at heritageradionetwork.org or by visiting our website, letstalkaboutfood.com or find them on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's Talk About Food is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradio.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage.
And here's a special request from me to all of you who are listening to Let's Talk About Food. It would mean a huge amount to me if you could contribute $1 or $5 a week to HRN. I love the Heritage Radio Network community, and I hope you do too. And it allows us to present this show. So if you can become a member and support Let's Talk About Food, go to heritageradionetwork.org and be sure to designate that you love Let's Talk About Food. Thank you.